Good, our God, to pause in your presence in the busyness of life, in the rush of fulfilling the responsibilities and expectations that we have, to be in your presence, to connect again with your river of grace, to sing songs which remind us of deep truths, to know of your perfect love which casts out fear, to know that you, Jesus, make the broken whole and heal the wounded. Thank you, God, that you are the living God. Truth revealed. We worship you and you touch our hearts through the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, as we open up your word today, may we hear it afresh. May the truth wash over us so that we might know that we are made right with you and walk according to your will. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. It could be that this is your first time here today. You're also welcome to come to the welcome lunch. There's always enough. And this is kind of how it goes, right? You come to a welcome lunch when you're new and it's really good. And then next week you come for toasty cheesies because you're, you know, assimilated. That's how it kind of works, right? Great lunch. Now we're all familiar. Toasty cheesies. (laughs) I find that funny. (laughs) You know, as I reflect on my conversion to Jesus and... uh, I mean, I have one story which, you know, I've kind of sat with, but as I sit with it, it keeps on growing in my understanding of what God was actually doing in that moment. And I can remember the moment where I was kind of caught up in that God is really holy and, and just and right, and I'm kind of not, and that I'm not kind of all just all perfect and just... And let me let you know, I mean, I was a good kid. I was too lazy to be naughty. But I was just a good kid. And yet somehow I knew that before a holy God, I'm just not right. And I can remember this sense of, hey, there's a big gap. But I can remember the moment where God became really personal. And I was overwhelmed with the love of God and a personal kind of encounter with Jesus Christ which made that gap between me and God close up, essentially. And it's to this day, it is the moment where I go, this God is close and personal. He is holy and just, but through Jesus, I can actually be in relationship with him. And it's, it's just still a powerful memory for me of my conversion. It kind of was this sense, though, that God is a holy and just God, And he is a judge. And we have fallen far short of his glory. And we need to find a way in which that can be reconciled. Last term, we spent a long series uh, called Outrageous Grace, which just talked about how amazing the grace of God is. But it's only more amazing when we realise just how great the wrath of God is and that we actually should be subject to the wrath of God and except through Jesus Christ our Lord, we are saved, right? And we are saved from that wrath. I'm actually going to be talking about the wrath of God. I don't do this very often, but it actually gives us great context to 
be even more amazed at the incredible grace of our God. And Paul, in this second part of chapter 1 of Romans, and can I encourage you right now, if you've got a Bible, to open it up. You want to run, you want to track with me through the text. If you've got to open it up on your phone, I'll know that you're not texting someone else across the room. But follow along with the scripture. Because here, Paul, who understands the power of God for salvation, now talks about God's wrath. Because he understands that really all of humanity is quite guilty. And God's wrath should be deserving and come to us. And he sets this up as a way in which we are to understand ourselves guilty before the great judge of God. And he talks about it in three ways because he says God's wrath will come and it will come because of these three reasons. Number one, that truth is suppressed. Number two, that truth is exchanged. And number three, when truth is distorted. And as I read through this part from Romans 1, verse 18 through to uh, 32, you might be aghast at the strength of these words. And I come as a messenger reading straight from the scripture here today. And then you can pray for me as I seek to unpack it before you. From verse 18 of chapter 1 of Romans. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world. In the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honour him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore... God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the astonishing of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. And for this reason, God gave them up to dishonourable passions, for their women exchanged natural relations for those who are contrary to nature, And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They were full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. I'm going to say that once. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them but give approval to those who practice them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
Very strong language in this, folks. Very strong language of God's wrath and what it looks like. And when we forget about God and his statutes and his ways and his decrees, where things lead. Paul has reflected on all this. He's mature in the faith. He's had a good look at all that's going on. And this is what he writes as he talks about those who move away from acknowledging God in his truth in all things. He starts off, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by unrighteousness, number one, suppress the truth. What is ungodliness? Unrighteousness. Ungodliness is firstly saying, I'm not going to live right with God. Unrighteousness is saying, I'm not going to live right with others. And this reveals, and those who go about doing this, this is what they are doing, is that they are suppressing the truth. And Paul goes on, he says, and how can you suppress this truth? Because it's plainly obvious to see that God is revealing himself. And this is what he's really saying. He says, you know what? You can suppress this truth, but if you actually really opened your eyes, you will see that God exists, that God is alive, that God is creating. And yet people want to suppress this truth. They actually want to say, no, no, God isn't at work. God's not alive. Because if I can suppress this truth, then I can just start to live however I want. And Paul says, yes, but it is plain. The invisible attributes of God have shown themselves through his power and divine nature. What Paul is drawing upon here, he's saying, listen, in all of creation, you can see that God has been at work. As a Christian apologist often talk about the designer theory. There's this whole idea that if you look at creation, you can see that it's designed so well. Intricately put together. Ecosystems which harmoniously work together. Even if you look at our creation, our human body, so incredibly designed for it to work together. And we know when something goes awry, right? You go, wow. And the design theory says, you've been so well designed, there has to be a designer. And how can you not look at creation and go, there has to be a creator? I was talking to Chris Hurden. He's Chris. And uh, he went fishing during the week without me. And Chris is a great fisherman, likes to catch the whiting, which is good because they're $100 a kilo at the moment. And uh, pays for the boat, right, Chris? Yeah, it's justified that with your wife. And... But Chris said, I went out the other day and it was, I mean, it was a dodge tie. There wasn't a lot of movement. Uh, but I went out and the sky was clear. There wasn't a breath of wind. The ocean was glassy. And I just picked up and he said, yeah, there was a few squid around, but I was overawed with just the beauty of that creation out there. He said, how can you not have a creative when you see that kind of beauty? You know, David, the psalmist, He says all of nature is proclaiming that there is a God, that he is at work. Have a look at Psalm 19, verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. 
There is no speech, nor are there words, whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. Creation speaks. Any bit of art has an artist and it is all painting to the truth that God is alive. His invisible attributes are made known through the world of creation. Paul is saying, can you not see this? How can you say there's no God and you suppress that truth when all of creation is proclaiming it in the intricate and amazing design that it is? He says, yet they suppress that truth. They push it away. They have no excuse, as it says in verse 20, and yet they do. And it says this, For although they knew God, they did not honour him as God, or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. And claiming to be wise, they became fools. Have you ever sat with a great debater who has justified their position? They sound so smart, they make you feel really stupid. And they're explaining things away, which you think, hey, that was immediately obvious to me, but now it's not, as they kind of get all clever in what they're saying. This is the person that Paul is talking about, claiming to be wise, become fools. And it goes on, it says, and there's an exchange which goes on. Exchange the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. And if you slip down to verse 25, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who was blessed forever. Amen. So firstly, suppression of the truth that God doesn't even exist. But then they start pushing God, I'm not even going to honour God. In fact, what I'm going to choose to worship is whatever that I conjure up, something which I even create so I can just start fulfilling however it is that I want to live. And it's an exchange of the truth because God says, I am a holy God and I'm a jealous God and the only one that you are to worship is me, the first God, first commandment. There shall be no other gods. And the second one, you shall not create another idol. And so this is what has happened. There's been an exchange of the truth. Now, it can be really subtle. You go, yeah, I worship God, but then something else starts to grab the desire of your heart and you, you hold it up and that becomes kind of you know, pushing up and it starts to be a God for you, an idol that you start to worship. The reason we have church and we gather is because it proclaims again that God needs to be central in your life. And you actually come in, you go, I'm just going to lay the other things down, which has started to grab my heart. I'm just going to lay them down before the altar and Lord choose you once more. And they're subtle in our culture because so many things are so easily justified. Our children become an idol. I'll just do anything for them. Yes, and that's true to a point, right? Till it affects your own worship or your lifestyle, whatever you choose which goes before God, it then stops you being able to worship and serve the creator and not what you have created. And it's an exchange of the truth. And Paul writes on, once you've suppressed the truth about God, don't acknowledge him, and then when you start worshipping whatever you want, the desires of your heart 
will start to then live their way out. Simply the lusts and the passions. Because there's nothing which checks it. Nothing which allows it to measure up to something which is running true in your life and they just start running away. And they become what lead us. And so then truth is distorted. And our culture gets really good at making other truths sound like the truths. And it distorts the truth about the way in which we are to live. And Paul goes on and he lists it. But I'd go on and say that if Paul was to write this chapter today, I reckon he'd put in another 20 verses about where the lusts of our heart have just led us. The sexualization of our culture is a social experiment which has been going on for 40 years. Where does it end? Are we concerned? What's it mean to raise kids in this sexualized culture when every time they turn on YouTube, there's an ad which tries to sell them something to draw on the lusts of the heart? Friends, when is it we say, enough's enough? Are we not afraid of God's holiness, his wrath? Do we not live in fear of a holy God anymore? And we've come to this place where anything goes and goes and goes and goes. And Paul writes it pretty clearly. If you suppress the truth that God isn't there and then you start to worship something else, then the lust of your heart will lead you into a place which will lead to destruction. Pretty challenging scripture for us in our culture. And yet, we must believe that there is a God who gives everyone a fresh start. You can be born again into a new life. Your heart can be shaped by the truth of Jesus' love. And you can be led by the truth of God's word and the presence of the Lord in your life and not be overcome by the lusts of your heart. And so what is it that we do with scriptures which push us against the culture of the day? Well, we must be aware that it does set us apart. It challenges us. Firstly, grow in your gratefulness to the Lord because the wrath of God which was destined for us fell on his son Jesus Christ. And he saved you from it. But he saved you for a new life, living in his truth and grace. Number two, let truth inform your feelings. Not just have your feelings inform your truth. And number three, let God be the judge. Love all people with truth and grace. Amen. Amen. The challenge of the scriptures. Let us pray. Lord, everything we do is this invitation to live according to your will. And Lord, we are broken. We are imperfect. We suppress truth at times. 
We allow other things to come and grab our hearts and we worship them. We find our feelings so overwhelming that we chase them down. They lead us to places that we don't want to be. But our God, we thank you for Jesus Christ who saves us and then sets us on a new trajectory. And that his saving his power is evident and is available to us, not just at the point of conversion, but in every moment of every day. And Lord, we pray that we will allow your truth to not be suppressed, exchanged or distorted in our lives, but we might live according to it. And may we do it under the power of the Holy Spirit. And Heavenly Father, in our culture where we're seeking to interpret the ways in which things are seen as normal, that which is unnatural is told to be now natural. And we grapple with this in our faith. Lord, I pray that you give us the courage to be living by our conviction, to know how to be gracious in love so that we can be in ministry with others, and then just live in the power of the conviction of your word in our lives. And may we always have your word read the culture and not the culture read the word. We give you all the praise and we commit ourselves to building our lives again on truth revealed. We thank you, our God, in Jesus' name, the only name that can save. Amen. Let us stand together as we sing this song, Build Your Life.